All right, good morning, church. Let's find our way to our seats. It's fourth Sunday, so the children are already in children's church. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in praise of our God, that he is the God of the mountain, and there's always a reason to worship him, even in the great darkness. And today our Epiphany sermon series continues, revealing to us, because remember, Epiphany means to reveal or to manifest. Uh, it reveals to us the fullness of God Almighty, his kingdom, and his loving salvation for us and the person, life, and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, building our trust in our Savior. And this is really important. This trust, what we call faith, it, it's, it's, cru- it's critical, it's crucial, because in a few short weeks, my friends, the Lord Jesus will begin his ascent to Jerusalem to suffer and die for the sins of the entire world. And our confidence in this Jesus as we go through the gospel story needs to be strong, especially in light of our weak tendencies to be rebellious and doubting. And so I'd ask you this morning as we go through Epiphany, do we really trust this Jesus? Is he really is he powerful enough to defeat sin, death, and the devil himself? Is he powerful enough to provide for you personally and care for your needs? And when we ask those type of questions, we're really asking a more deeper and fundamental question that has to be answered first. And it's it's simply this. It's our preaching question for today is, church, who is this Jesus? Who is Jesus? And to answer this, our scripture readings will take us from the Old Testament prophet Jonah and his rebellious plight to the gospel which reveals Jesus Christ and his righteous power. And we'll we'll end our sermon answering this question of, who is this Jesus? Thank you, Tony. So if you can and you are willing, please stand for the reading of the sacred scriptures as we seek to answer a simple but foundationally and profound question of, Who is Jesus? Hear now the words of the living and true God. A reading from the prophet Jonah, chapter 1, 1 through 17. The scripture says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. 
And then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days. And three nights. A second reading from the Epistle to the Romans, chapter 8, 18 through 25. The Apostle tells the church, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he has seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And lastly, our gospel reading. It's brief but powerful. Matthew 8, 23 to 27. And when he, Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves but he was asleep. And they went and they woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Thus ends the reading of the gospel. Marshall Modil, would you pray for blessing of the reading of the word?
Amen. You may be seated. Church, as we begin to answer our preaching question this morning, who is Jesus? We begin with an important attribute or quality of God that is revealed to us in the story of Jonah. And which is this, is that our first preaching point is that through Jonah, God's power over creation is revealed. Through Jonah's story, God's power over the created order is revealed. And for those not familiar with Jonah's story, he's a prophet, he's a true messenger of God, and he is sent to Assyria. And the Assyrians at this time, they are an enemy of the people of God. And even after Jonah's preaching and the end of his story, within a generation or two, God will use these same Assyrians to judge his people. So Jonah knows who they are. They are pagan awful people that have been terrorizing the known world, conquering nations, and he's called to them to preach a message of faith and repentance towards the living God, to turn from their evil ways. And in a surprising fashion, Jonah, a true prophet, he ain't having none of that. He doesn't want to do it. He does not want to go to the Assyrians. He doesn't, if you read his book, he does not want to preach to them. He doesn't want God to show mercy to these pagan people because he knows who they are and he knows what they're going to do. He does not want God to show mercy and compassion to them. And so he runs from the task. He, He leaves Israel thinking he can escape the presence of the Lord, which I'm sure in hindsight, I'm sure if we ever get to ask him in heaven, like that does not make sense, but it made sense to Jonah. He's fleeing from God. But God teaches Jonah and us today, the hearers of the word, a very important lesson. He is not, the living God is not like the idols that the pagans worship. He can actually do stuff. That might sound really simple, but the living God can actually do things, unlike the idols, which are deaf, dumb, mute, and blind, and not alive. And God shows Jonah very well how he can carry out his perfect will, no matter who opposes him even if it's one of his own prophets. God's will will always come to pass, amen? And so he shows Jonah, he very clearly says, you know, just thinking out loud, Jonah, you're gonna run from me, but that's not gonna work. So the living God sends a great wind and a great tempest upon the sea. And there was a mighty one, so bad that, as we read, the ship was breaking up. I've never been on a boat where that type of thing happened, but I imagine how terrifying it would be to feel so small and so powerless amidst such a great storm. Have you ever seen those videos of those guys, those crazies that go for gold in the Northern Sea, like on the Discovery Channel, where like their ships will be like almost all the way over and like they're holding on? That is not, that's crazy to me. Why would you do that? I guess gold is worth it. But for Jonah, they're dying. They're perishing. They're terrified. And throughout the whole first chapter of Jonah, this storm just keeps getting worse the more they try to get away from the problem to a point where eventually they are cornered. They threw out all the tackle. They got rid of all their cargo. They're not going to make it now. The storm is not, not, uh, not settling down. The ship is still tearing up and sinking. They've tried everything they can. They've tried, they called out to all their gods. It ain't working. They're cornered. They are powerless. And they're right where God wants them to be. And church, this is such an important reality when you think about the living God, the God you worship. He has absolute power over his creation. He can do anything with it. However, 
and whenever he chooses to. And the Psalms themselves, if you, if, you, if you are regularly reading the Psalms, which I highly encourage you to do so, because some of the most profound statements of God can be found in the Psalter, regularly the Psalms are filled with direct statements that what you and I consider to be natural phenomenon, you know, we live in tornado land, what we consider to be normal and natural, the Psalm says are God's personal handiwork. Things like, the Psalter will say things like, he created and controls the seasons, Psalm 74, it says he raises the sun every morning, Psalm 104. He causes the wind and the storm to blow, Psalm 78. He sends hail and snow and ice and frost, Psalm 148. And in Jonah's case, he sent a great storm. This God controls the created order. He truthfully does. The living God controls his creation. He has absolute power over it to fulfill his good will for his good pleasure. And honestly, think of this. If God isn't in control of the created order, who is? I mean, think of the alternatives. Is it clearly not you and me? Is the devil in control of nature? I say nay. The scripture testifies nay. Only God's in control. So be confident in God's power. The earth in its fullness and all of the ways and works of the universe are in the hands of the eternal God. Amen? It's an important thing to remember as we answer this question about Jesus. The living God has absolute power and authority over the created order. The second truth we're going to gain from Jonah's story in answering our question on who is Jesus is we need to take a look more at Jonah himself, his heart, his disposition, and what happens to him, which takes us to our second preaching point today. It's that in this story of Jonah... Jonah's actions in this first chapter serve as an illustration, if you will, an example of all of humanity and what we are like. Because in Jonah, our plight is revealed, second preaching point. In Jonah, the plight of all humanity is truthfully revealed because, as we read, church, Jonah is fleeing from God. He's disobeying his commandment to go. And it is in this we see what I would consider the primordial sin, the sin of Adam and Eve, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil at work. Without trying to dig too deep into Jonah, his actions testify to this reality is that he thinks he knows better than the Almighty. God says, go. He says, no. It's, it's pretty plain, right? God told him to obey. He doesn't do it. He will determine what is right and what he will do. And in this Jonah and in this example, it's a perfect illustration, if you will, that all of us find ourselves in to some degree. For all of us, to some degree, have hard, rebellious hearts that sin and disobey God. Every single person in this room, you, me, our children, our children's children, every human being that has been and will be, has disobeyed or will disobey the living Christ, that will disobey God, amen? It's a tragic truth, but it is factually true. Every single person who has and will be, including you, including me, have done exactly what Jonah has done because it's the sin of our ancestors that flows through our veins. We choose what we will do and disobey God. It's the story of the Bible. Whether we're violating his written word or violating the law in our hearts, the scripture says, the conscience he put in us, everyone has sinned some way, some form. Because Consider this, the easiest one of all. Consider the commandments. Who here... Don't raise your hands. But who here has not willingly told a lie? 
Every single person. Stan, I saw that. You're, you're a good man. You're honest. We've all willingly, willingly have told lies. And to do so is not only to show hatred and contempt for our neighbor, but it shows also our contempt for God himself. For the Lord is truth. His very nature is truth. And lies by virtue of what they are are against God's essences and being. Because God is truth. So lies are an affront to his very nature. And to disdain God and to disdain our neighbor is to sin. Y'all have sinned. I've sinned. Everyone's told a lie. And as the scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the living God. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. And these are the words of the living God himself about people. No one is righteous, he says. No one seeks after me like they should. All have gone astray. Like that's the, that's the description God uses of humanity, which includes you and includes me. And our sin and rebellion will always take us to its final outcome, what we call death and separation from God. For the wages of sin, the scripture says, is death. The wages or the earnings of sin leads us to this thing called death. And in Jonah's case, if we're using him as an illustration for all of humanity, in Jonah's case, this was symbolized by the great fish, the monstrous Leviathan, swallowing him up and taking him into the depths of the ocean, to the depths of the bottom of the sea. And Jesus himself uses this illustration of Jonah being swallowed up to illustrate his own death, to illustrate that it's really this, this picture of death itself, swallowing Jonah up. Because he disobeyed God, he ran from God, and when you run from God, your ultimate destination is in the death itself, in the Leviathan, in the great sea. For Jesus said, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so I too, the son of man, will be three days and three nights in the grave. The story of Jonah is a perfect picture of humans' disposition to run from God, disobeying him, and ending up in death itself, as pictured by the sea and the great fish, swallowing him up. That's a vivid picture, right? Death swallowing up Jonah. And that's what happens to all of us. That's what we all are inclined to do. Because just like Jonah, we all find ourselves in the belly of the great Leviathan. All humans, you, me, all of us, are captive to this thing called death and corruption because it is the consequence of sin. And we need to be rescued. We need to be rescued. And thanks and glory be to God Almighty, for he has seen the plight of sinful humanity. He's seen your struggles. He's seen my struggles. He sees our corruption, our death and our sin, all of it. And yet in that, he truthfully loves us because he appointed his son as a redeemer to save us. And this takes us to our third point, to our epistle reading, answering who this Jesus is, is that in Jesus, the plan of redemption is realized. For in Jonah, we see God's power over the elements, over all created order. His will will be carried out no matter what happens, no matter how much sinful man rebels against him, God's will will be carried out. In Jonah, we see an example of every human that has been and will be, our rebellion and our sin, which ultimately lead us into the mouth of the Leviathan, to just, which is death itself. Rebellion and sin leads to death. But thanks be to God that in Jesus, the plan of redemption has been realized. And in our epistle reading today, church, which gets us one step closer to answering who is this Jesus? Remember, that's still the question we're seeking to answer. Is that in this Jesus, God has revealed the plan 
and the effect of the gospel. Our epistle reading shows us what the good news actually does to us and for us, for those who have been swallowed up by sin and death and darkness, freed from that terrible monster, freedom from that terrible monster has come in Jesus Christ. For Paul says things like all the creation, it says, has been groaning to be made new. All of creation, including you and me, have been groaning to be made whole and right. Because every person who has been under the power of sin and death and corruption since the garden until now needs to be healed of that corruption, that sin and that death. So consider this. If you've ever been sick, if you've ever felt pain in your life, if you've ever been miserable, if you've ever had heartache and sorrow, if you've ever been deeply just wounded in this life, or even lightly, or maybe the simple signs of decay coming through age, you understand what this groaning Paul speaks of is like. Where imagine when you know when you you wake up in the morning and your joints are stiff and you're groaning as you stretch out for the day. That's the type of deep groaning, that deep hurt that needs to be healed. It's representative of the problem of sin everywhere. This corruption is everywhere. This death is everywhere. You ache and you groan for wholeness and peace and rest because deep down, you know intuitively that this world, the way it is, should not be like this. There's something better for us. The suffering due to sin in all its forms remind us that this world is broken. We groan to be free of corruption and death because God has made us in his image, church. You are made in the image of the living God. Humans are made to be with God and alive with God, not dead in sin and trespasses. And something in us, even lost people recognize like they can look at poverty and problems in this world. They can look around and see all these problems and go, that's not right. And have you ever asked someone who's not Christian when they look at the problems of this world and they'll make those grand statements like, that's not right. Be like, why? Why, are, why is mass genocide bad? Why is starvation bad? Why is poverty bad? And they'll say, oh, well, because you know, suffering this and that. But yeah, but why is suffering bad in and of itself? And without the scripture answer, there is no real ultimate reason to those things. It's just, it's just nature. It's just the way it is. But the scriptures testify that in the heart of all people, we know like this world, there's wrongness to it. The fact that we can use wrong language and look at things and go, that's bad or that's wrong, testifies to the reality of the image of God in us. We recognize when things aren't what they're supposed to be. You know it intuitively. We are meant to be alive and prospering with our creator, not alienated and dying without him not in the depths of the sea and the great belly of the, or the great fish like Jonah. But on our own, we can't fix it. On our own, we cannot save ourselves from the great enemy of sin and death and the devil. We can't free ourselves from the Leviathan that swallowed Jonah that that's all of us can be found in. We can't save ourselves. It's like once you're in, you're stuck. And all of us are born into this awful system of sin and death. But Christ, in his mercy, he heard the groans. He sees and hears the groans of the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, you and me. God hears the groans of our bondage and sin and corruption. And he did something glorious, church. The Lord Jesus Christ went fishing. 
He went fishing. And Christ is an expert fisherman. That so much so he even will tell the apostles who are fishers, I will teach you to be fishers of men. The Lord Jesus went fishing and through his cross, that's how he did it. And as a master angler, the Lord Jesus knows that the hook, I don't know a lot about fishing, so I'm not making this up. But as a master angler, the Lord Jesus knows that the hook needs bait and lure, hidden, concealing the hook. This is an illustration the old, the old Christian ancients would use in the early church writings. They would describe Jesus' salvation as angler. Consider this, that in his passion, Jesus Christ, his humanity, the fact that he is able to die, is the perfect bait. Jesus can actually die. But he's also perfectly God, full of divinity and life itself. And so we would say things like his divinity has been clothed with humanity. And in the cross, which is the way he did this, to go fishing, if you, would, if you follow my illustration, the bait for the great Leviathan called death, this great fish that swallowed Jonas, Jesus' broken body, dying body, the fact that he can die is the bait that would swallow him up into death itself. But think about this. When that awful great fish swallowed up the Lord Jesus Christ and his passion on the cross, when he died on the cross, the fish also not only swallowed his mortal frame, swallowed the source of life itself. And I had to think about this. How do you explain it? When, think, when death itself swallows up life, and I was immediately thought about the movie Jaws, fantastic film. Remember how Jaws ends? I know you guys have seen Jaws. If you haven't seen Jaws, you're missing out on classic American filmmaking. But they defeat that awful shark, that awful tyrant. They put the uh, air tank inside of him because no external attack works, right? They, can't, they try stabbing him from the outside, which is sharks and stabbing. It sounds like a stupid plan. But they tried and it didn't work and everyone's dying. And so what do they do? By opportunity, they blow the shark up from the inside out. When Jesus went fishing for this awful Leviathan that swallows up all humanity, this thing called death, his bait is the body. It killed Jesus. And just like jaws exploded from the inside out, when death swallowed up life, Jesus exploded the grave from the inside out collapsing it, destroying it, which is why you and I do not have to be fear, afraid of death. We're not afraid of sin and death anymore. We've been freed from it. And just like Jonah, who was vomited back up on dry land, when Jesus exploded the grave through his resurrection, you and I, like Jonah, are vomited out back to life. Jonah is a picture of the resurrection. It's a picture of life from the dead. And this is all because the Lord Jesus Christ went fishing and caught that awful Leviathan his body the bait, his divinity the hook. And that is why Jesus can say things like, and when you read the Revelation, he'll say, I am Jesus. I once was dead, but now I'm alive, and I alone hold the key to death in Hades. Our Jesus not only owns the created order, he literally owns death itself now. He possesses it so that his people are no longer destroyed by it. Thank you, J.D., I would say I thought about myself, but these are like the old Christian writings, how they would explain the gospel, but I'll take that credit. I clap, but you can go ahead and clap. It's not done. Hold your claps. <laughs> this is why the gospel is such powerful news. God himself sees our rebellion like Jonah, sees our death like Jonah, and says, 
I will go fishing to rescue these people. This great enemy, this great sea monster, death, you get the illustration, the great shark, if you will, has to die. But it can only be killed from the inside out, like Jaws. And that's what our Lord Jesus Christ did. But for this to happen, he actually has to go to the cross to redeem the creation, this creation that's groaning to be made right. He had to go to the cross. He had to get there, which takes us to our last gospel reading and really our main point for this morning on answering who this Jesus is. For Jesus to make it to the cross, church, I'll put it plainly to you, nothing can stop him from fulfilling his good will. And the good will and good pleasure of the Lord Jesus Christ is to save the seek and save the lost, which is you, which is me, which is those who haven't heard yet. That's the good pleasure of Jesus. And he's going to make it to the cross. And in our gospel reading, a great storm hits. He's crossing the sea. And just like in Jonah, there's this great storm. And yet the master of the storm gets out of the boat, the thing preventing him maybe from getting further to the cross and says, stop. You stop that. Because our Jesus is the Lord of all creation. And that's really what I want you to hear this morning. Your Jesus, the bread that we break, the cup that we drink, this Jesus who's going to the cross to go fishing for men to save us, is the living God. He's the Lord of all creation. He can tell the wind and the waves to stop. And they listen to him. And the men marvel and they ask the great question and they say, who is this? And if you and I were there knowing this now, you know what we would call out to the apostles from the shore? We would say, he's the living God. He's the eternal God. He's Yahweh. He's the Lord of all creation. Listen to him. That's what we would tell the apostles. But if we were there in that boat, as this story is unfolding, we would ask the same question, wouldn't we? Who is this? But that's our Jesus, the master of the sea. Remember when Jonah told the sailors, I'm a Hebrew. And they ask him, okay, well, who do you worship? And he goes, I worship the God that created the seas and the land and everything therein. And they were scared. That's Jesus. That's your Jesus. That's the hope of the world that this Jesus who can go fishing really is the living God. Amen? Nothing could stop him. And we know how this gospel story plays out. But as we get closer to Easter, when this great fishing story is fulfilled, when Jesus destroys death itself in only about a month or so from now, or a month and a half, remember this. They had not experienced the unfolding of the story yet. And yet Jesus says, like Jonah, I'm going to go into the grave. But unlike Jonah, I have the power to destroy it. And that's the resurrection. Our Jesus is the living God. And to this morning, if you're here, and this morning, if you're here, and you don't know who this Jesus is, and you've not received him, you're like the sailors on the boat. Life and its storms tear apart at you, right? Everything always seems to be falling apart. And ultimately, you're going to end up in the sea you will be swallowed up by that great fish called death. But you don't have to end like that because just like those sailors in that story, 
How does their story end? They recognize the living God and they worship him. You too can find life this morning in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The one who loved you gave his life to redeem you so you can live. This is Jesus. He's God. And so I would offer you this morning when the altar time comes, come and pray if you've not received him. Come and pray. This is Jesus. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a nice guy. He's the Lord of all creation. And he's offering you, even this morning, the opportunity to be spared from that great Leviathan called death, which you will face. And either you're going to go to the depths of the sea in darkness, or you will live forever with Christ. There's only two choices in that option. Death in the sea and swallowing the great fish, or live like the sailors did. And you need to choose. Who will you choose? Jesus is the answer. And for those of you who have, I would encourage you this week. We're just going to go over one application point today. They're on your handout. Meditate on this during this week. But I want you to just think about this. Do you understand that your Jesus, as much as one can, is the Lord of all creation? And think of how that applies to our Christian lives. There's nothing, church, there's nothing that can befall you that God does not have power over. Nothing. No illness, no foreclosure, no, no, no anything. I just, any, any infinite possibilities of what can go wrong in this life. If the Lord Jesus can tell the wind and the waves to stop, do not doubt he has power to fulfill his good pleasure in your life for his glory and your good, regardless of what it looks like. This might be a large blanket statement, but everybody has problems. Everybody. But your greatest problems are your spiritual problems. And Jesus can destroy even the doubt in your life. And he can free you from that. So as the altar call comes, you too, Christian, what storms in your life are you needing Christ to show up in? Because this really reminded me this week of one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. And we're going to close with this verse. It's Psalm 50, verse 15. It's a promise from the living Christ to you. It says, in the day of your trouble, like the apostles on that boat, call upon me and I will rescue you and you will honor me. That's a promise from the living God to you. What trouble are you in, Christian? Unbeliever, we know you're in trouble. There's no good for you until you call on Jesus, but he promises he will show up. And outside, on the other side of that storm, you will give all the glory to the living God, amen?